Welcome to our very spooky episode two of Higher Education. As always, I'm Noelle. And I'm Laura. And welcome, everybody. Come on in class. Have a seat. Laura is getting high as we speak. Um, so for those of you with a medical marijuana license or if it's legal where you're at, go ahead and light her up and join her as we settle in and get ready for tonight's episode. Laura, what is your strain of the day today? Blueberry. Ooh, blueberry. It actually did taste a little bit like blueberry, like when I breathed out after I smoked it. So, Well, there you go. It's aptly named then. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's kind of unusual for a podcast to have like a holiday episode as their second one, but we launched in October. Yeah, so. it's not our fault. I mean, it kind of is because we dragged our feet a little, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's only because we were so excited about doing this and we want to produce the best possible like product for you guys. And tonight you guys should be getting our new sound quality because we have our new blanket fort surround recording studio up right now, which honestly, it's perfect for the spooky spookiness that we're going to be talking about tonight. Indeed. <laughs> Noel looks very spooky, but still adorable as always. I mean, it's true. <laughs> I I have often said with my friend um, Allison that if when we die, we have a pact that we're going to become ghosts and we're going to be ghost best friends and we're going to haunt like a theme park or something together and we're going to be the most adorable and confident ghost. That's okay, what's well, going to happen. Allison, I feel like you're probably listening to this. So I also want to be a ghost. I don't know what I have to do to get in that club, but I want to do that. Because ghosts are amazing and spooky. They are. We will. I will definitely put in your uh, application to join, and we will be a trio of, like, spooky gals. So, Laura, what is our spooky question for tonight? My spooky question is, where did Halloween come from? I mean, fair question all around, because... The evolution of it is honestly a little crazy and really cool, which is fitting for one of my favorite holidays. One so, of my favorite holidays, too. Oh, we love it. We love it so, so much. So if we're ready, uh, shall we do our Wayback Machine and go back in time real quick to the yes. start of everything? <laughs> okay, so we're going to go back, and I mean way, way back. So join us back here in the past, guys in Scotland and Ireland in the area that was ruled by a group of people we now know as the Celts, which is kind of like a blanket term for the Gaelic ancestors of that region of Europe. Back in those days, in what we consider to be pagan rituals and holidays, they worshipped the sun and its orbit around, or rather our orbit around it. And so they had different festivals that kind of worshipped the sun and the seasons. The one that happened on October 31st, as we know it, was, and it's a Gaelic word, so I actually had to look up the pronunciation of it, because I always thought it was Samhain, but it's actually Sawin. Sawin. Sawin or Sawin, because with Gaelic terms, every region's going to have a different pronunciation, so if my way of pronouncing it is not correct by your definition, guys, um, deal with it, because it's the best <laughs> we can do right now. <laughs> 
That's true. Ga- Gaelic words are so hard. It's such a beautiful language, and I hope to study it in the future so that I can get better at saying it. Isn't it sort of like Latin where it doesn't exist anymore? Well, there's actually several people that still speak Gaelic in certain parts of Ireland and Scotland. Those that hold very true to the traditions of their ancestors and to the Celts going so far back, they do practice Gaelic and it's still used in like folk songs and things like that throughout the region. They would have the festival of Samhain where they would basically make a giant wheel and light it on fire as a representation of the sun. And it was also believed, I know, crazy. Um, and it's kind of the birth of where we get like bonfires in a sense. I mean, that makes sense because we always do bonfires in the fall and leading up to it. And it's very weird how fire seems to follow the theme of Halloween as we go through the evolution of it. Okay. So, Sawin, we've got a festival celebrating the sun, and it's also a day where it's believed that the dead come back to the earth. So there are, like, big festivals and feasts. Everybody puts food outside where they sit and have meals with their departed loved ones. But it's also believed that monsters and other creepy stuff is wandering around at night. So, of course, children, even back in those times, dressed up as different things to help ward away evil spirits and everything, which eventually evolves into what we now know as trick-or-treating. So children were being, were they being sent out by their parents? They would go out with their parents. (laughs) With their parents. (laughs) To go up and down through the town and participate in this festival where they were honoring their dead, but there was all kinds of, and we can do an entire episode. Literally, I would do an entire episode on like, Gaelic and Irish folklore, because there's so much interesting stuff in it. (laughs) But the character in particular I want to talk about on today's episode is the inspiration for where we get jack-o'-lanterns. Cool. Jack-o'-lantern, jack-o'-lantern. Yes. So jack-o'-lanterns, as we know them today, you know, you carve a face into them, you put a candle in. They're fun. They're cool. If you look back at some of the first jack-o'-lanterns, they're terrifying. Oh, I'm sure some jack-o'-lanterns now are terrifying. (laughs) Well, they used to carve them out of turnips and different types of, like, root vegetables that were not pumpkins. Popkin, uh, pumpkins actually became more popular here in the Americas because we could grow them here and they were so plentiful. Yeah. But the story goes, it dates back to a man called Stingy Jack. And it's an, I know, funny name, but insane story. Yeah. So the legend of Stingy Jack is that one day... Jack was such an unscrupulous and such a hard-pinched to hang on to his money kind of guy. He tricked the devil into having a drink with him (laughs) and got the devil to pay for it by making the devil turn into a coin to pay for their drinks. And then to make sure that the devil couldn't come out of that state, he used a symbol of the sign of the cross on a coin pouch and put the devil's coin that he turned himself into into that pouch and basically kept the devil hostage for years until he agreed not to punish Jack for his prank. Wow. And so eventually Jack lets him out, but that's not the end of the story. Okay, I just want to ask, what state was this in? This was in um, Ireland. No, it was in Georgia. I don't care what you say. <laughs> the devil this went happened down Georgia. in Georgia. <laughs> is this, is, uh, we're starting with your conspiracy theory is that... No, Stingy Jack was actually in it was in Georgia. I don't care what you think. <laughs> anyway, so the next time that the devil and Jack had a interaction, 
he convinced the devil to climb up a tree to get a fruit for him. And while the devil was up the tree, Jack drew, carved into the tree, the sign of the cross. And the devil couldn't come back down the tree because of the sign of the cross. And he made the devil stay up there until he agreed to leave him alone for another 10 years. Long story short, like Jack is having too good of a time pulling the devil's leg and making him look like an idiot. But at the same time, he's kind of doing some really bad stuff. So when Jack eventually dies and he's being judged, God refuses to let him into heaven because he's such an unscrupulous character. And the devil is so done with his bullshit that he's like, nah, man, you're not getting in. And so Jack is forced to wander the earth as a vagrant spirit, a ghost, never being able to know peace. And the only thing he's given is a red hot coal to help light his way in the dark as he wanders the earth for forever. So he put it inside of a turnip to act as a lantern. And it's from that we get the tradition of the jack-o'-lantern because he's actually like a ghoulish figure that is roaming across the countrysides of like Ireland and Scotland. So the way you ward him off is that you make a lantern of your own to keep him away. Wow. So are turnips bigger in Ireland? Because how are they fitting anything inside of a turnip to I carry mean, around? I mean, it's a single coal. I can't imagine, like, a single coal is probably, like, no bigger than your the palm of your hand. Depending on the size of the turnip, it would probably be big enough to hold it. But then by, after you hollow it out and make a whole face and everything, is it really going to be sturdy enough to... This is why they switched to pumpkin. This is probably... This could be why we switched to bigger gourds. That could very well be it. Instead of root vegetables, we use gourds now. But it's crazy that that is where we get it from. Because when I was a kid um, growing up, my mother was the religion teacher at our school. And what she taught us was that a practice that was done by Christians is that they would carve a cross into the pumpkin and put that in the windowsill of farmhouses and stuff. So as people were making their way in for mass for, and we'll get into why people would be coming for mass around Halloween, they would put these pumpkins with crosses on them in the windowsill so that people that were coming from much further out knew that, oh, this is a house of people that are of the same faith as me I can stay here for the night so that I can stop here as a safe haven and then we can all go on to church in the morning so they painted it so the cross is on the safe haven yeah which it's crazy that we have crosses on these pumpkins and in its own weird way it correlates to stingy Jack's Jack's folktale so much because he used the sign of the cross to be able to like trap the devil so much so it's almost like in its own sense a weird way of still like warding off the devil on a night where you know ancient people thought the dead walked the earth or spirits were wandering around at night well now christians have a problem with traditional there are christians that have a problem with traditional halloween things and it started out as carving crosses into pumpkins (laughs) anyway no and that's the crazy thing too is that so we're here way back in the time of the Celts. Mm-hmm. And then slowly... Which, when would the time of the Celts been? Like, oh, thousands and thousands of years ago. We're talking before we get into, like, the proper centuries as we know it, as recorded by, like, the Roman Catholic Church. Which, 
play a big part in the transformation of Halloween. As Christianity continues to kind of expand across Europe, you have these priests and bishops who are like, okay, so we're in these communities now and we're trying to like convert everyone over to our faith. How do we do that? And they were like, well, if we outlaw all these pagan traditions and festivals and stuff, nobody's going to want to join with us because we're telling them they can't do the fun things they're used to doing. So instead, they started assimilating those festivals and rituals into the church and kind of rewrote a bunch of stuff, which is where we get a lot of the holidays as we now know them today. From Samhain, we get All Souls Day and we get All Saints Day, which is on November 1st and November 2nd, which are also correlating within the days of Day of the Dead. We have this incorporation of them taking these pagan practices and the more traditional practices of those Celts and incorporating it into the church by telling them, oh yeah, let me tell you about like all of our saints and all of our people that have died in our faith that we believe also walk around on the earth and let's talk about them and honor them for two days after Samhain. And then it slowly helps incorporate the two different beliefs into one practice. It evolved further from there, but things got a little weird and muddled as it got incorporated into Roman Catholicism. Pope Boniface in the 5th century decided that we were going to move Halloween from October 31st to May 13th. Wow. That's not nearly a spooky enough time of year for Halloween to be. Who's going to believe the dead are walking the earth in May? Come on, Boniface. What what are you doing? Too warm. I'm telling you. Gotta be chilly. So thankfully, a few centuries later in the 9th century, Pope Gregory is like, nah, 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 fam. We're going to have it back in October. And we'll do All Souls Day and All Saints Day, like on November 1st and November 2nd, so everybody else can have their saw win, and then we'll do our thing afterwards, and that'll get everybody kind of jiving together, if you will. The Pope was trying to be accommodating to other... Well, it was more of a way to convince them that, look, our practices aren't that different from yours. It was really more of like a campaign thing to convince people to convert by taking the traditions that the people in the region were used to practicing and incorporating it into the Catholic dogma. So then, and by making it doctrine, it wasn't as off-putting for them to see themselves as becoming Catholics and converting. Oh, so more religious people manipulating people. Yeah, basically. Cool. (laughs) Yep. That's what they do. And of course, this evolves over the centuries and certain practices are still continued on. Part of the things that kids would get by going door to door during Samhain, and then later, as we know it, is All Hallows' Eve, which eventually becomes Halloween, they're given fruit, cookies, cake, um, all kinds of different stuff. And sometimes the kids, if they went to wealthier parts of town, they would do tricks. And I mean, like, they would sing songs, they would stand on their heads, they would juggle um they would do all kinds of stuff and as we get into the practice of all souls day and all saints day they start saying oh we'll pray for everybody in the house sir and then people start like doling out the treats for these kids which is really similar to like what we do at christmas with caroling that's so pure because it was like a performance for the kids and then and it got i feel bad that it got so soured and i know that you're going to get into why but 
the kids are doing these little performances trying to cheer people up and then parents are, you know, giving them presents for doing that and then it got turned into egging houses and uh devil worship no, I'm not saying that Halloween has anything to do with devil worship. I'm no, saying that's that not what we're saying. That people started accusing it of being a devil worship holiday and that is not the case. And Satanists are not even necessarily devil worshippers. I don't want to get into any of that because I don't really know anything about it. I will admit that. But I do know that they have been given a bad name. Unfortunately, there there is a part of the story where everything goes awry. And as usual, it goes back to the ye old old thing that we fall back on, which is boys will be boys. Mm. Yeah, sadly, but true. So, unfortunately, and this is a tradition that dates all the way back to, like, the beginning of All Hallows' Eve and everything. Um, with Irish and Scottish and pretty soon a lot of European young boys, they would play pranks all throughout that time of year. They were messing up people's cabbage patches. They were throwing rocks at people. Some reports even talk about boys stealing gates from people's front yards and taking off with them. So Halloween started getting this whole idea of it was Devil's Night or Mischief Night. It's had a lot of different, like, negative connotations that all basically tie back to vandalism of like kids just being little jerks and running around and causing havoc and chaos because they're like we're young and frustrated and we don't understand our hormones so we're gonna cause property damage Ah!" like every single account that i read into about this guys that's all that i could see when i was looking through this i'm like these are a bunch of kids that don't know how to like better control their emotions and talk it out and just deal with it so they just let them run amok and unfortunately because this is something that happened generation after generation the adults don't feel that motivated to reprimand them into stopping because they literally did that when they were kids so it just continued on but throughout the centuries it upped and it got a lot worse yes i I'm familiar with some of the terrible things that have happened on Halloweens. And unfortunately, a lot of serial killers have used that day as a... Kind of an inspiration or a Landmark day. Like a landmark day. Benchmark. Benchmark day. That's what I was trying to think of. It was a benchmark day. A benchmark day to do, like, terrible things on it. Exactly. But yeah, it's, it's nuts. Like, the things that these kids would do. So then the idea of trick or treating, it goes from like, Oh, we'll do a trick for you, sir, to be able to get, like, a nice slice of cake. Now it's into like, okay, so we're going to push over this outhouse and there's a guy inside of it. It's going to be sick. And that's what they did. They didn't say it like that. That's just, you know, the equivalent of how it sounds to me in our modern day vernacular. So it turned into a cute little thing to children manipulating people and bullying them into giving them candy. Well, not even giving them stuff because as... We get into the 19th century. We're seeing things like World War One, and we're seeing the Great Depression. So yeah, these kids just get rowdier and rowdier as time goes on. And going all the way back to like the 19th century, when we have these Irish and Scottish immigrants coming here to America, these kids are also bringing that tradition of vandalizing stuff on All Hallows' Eve before they go to church with mom and dad for All Souls Day and All Saints Day. So it's their way of rebelling before they have to go be good little church kids. And that's their whole thing, is that it's a way for, like, these kids to kind of blow off steam. 
But speaking of blowing off steam, I think it's time for our new segment of the show called a hit break, where Laura takes a minute to go and re-up her medication. You guys want to go do that? Uh, feel free to join her and she'll be back with us in just a bit. I'll be right back. Okay, guys, while Laura is taking her hit break, this is a great time for us to take a break for me to tell you about some of our other amazing podcasts here on Bearded Kappa Productions. So if you guys love all things spooky, creepy, and horrifying, I highly recommend you check out the podcast Macabre Matinee. Join Sean and Craig as they break down some of your favorite or soon-to-be favorite horror movies. They talk about the actors in it, the stories, the plots, every single bit of it. And there's no two guys I love to listen to more when it comes to all things creepy and scary and for some great recommendations, especially at this, our spookiest time of year. So be sure to check them out on Macabre Matinee, available on Bearded Kappa Productions, everywhere where Anchor Podcasts are available. And welcome back from the hit break. How are you feeling, Laura? I'm feeling more high. <laughs> well, that is good. Well, while you're feeling uh, good and high and we're having a little snack, I think this is a good time for an edible. Laura, do you know how much Americans spend on Halloween annually? I know it's a lot because I know I spend a lot of money on Halloween annually. <laughs> I, I contribute to this number as well. Not as much as maybe some people, but that's because I, I only have so much of a budget for it every year. Same, same. I Yeah. I'm going to say probably at least like $6 million. Well, you're a little short. Because annually, Americans will spend $2.6 billion annually on wow. all things Halloween. You know, I didn't think about haunted houses, things like that. I didn't think about that. Going to bars on Halloween parties. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot like, more sense. Like the candy industry, the costume industry. I mean, Spirit Halloween, they know they got our number 100%. But yeah, annually, Americans will spend $2.6 billion on Halloween. So if you're beating yourself up at the store, guys, because you're getting, like, one extra bag of Snickers, like, don't worry about it. There are people spending a whole lot more than you. I've spent more than you on candy corn this year alone. <laughs> that is that is more than likely true. I know how much you love candy corn. I love it so much. So we have the Irish and Scottish um, immigrants coming in. The kids are running amok. At this point... I want to deviate from the wider history of Halloween and talk about one amazing woman who started the turnover of changing the way Halloween was celebrated here in America. I'm so sorry, but I actually do know this story a little bit, but go ahead. Another I'm, podcast that I listened to uh, did this did this bit. Yes. Well, she's such an incredible woman, so we have to give credit where credit is due to Hiawatha, Kansas's own legendary queen of Halloween herself. Yes, we're talking about that. Mrs. Elizabeth Krebs. This woman, who was the head of the Hiawatha Gardening Club back in the 1910s, so 1912, day after the night of All Hallows' Eve, she looks out her window and her garden is, of course, destroyed because the kids and the boys in the neighborhood went nuts and tore the whole place apart. So she decides that she's going to try and put on a Halloween party the following year to help these kids burn off steam in a way that isn't causing public wanton destruction everywhere. And in 1913, she had some moderate success, 
but her garden still got messed up the following year. But in 1914, she pushed and pushed for the city council and for more people to help participate in creating what is now an over 100-year tradition in Hiawatha, Kansas, called the Halloween Frolics Parade, where everyone comes out dressed in costumes, and they literally lead the kids from one end of town all the way to the big opera house down at the other end of town. And because everyone is partying and walking together and showing off their costumes, the kids literally were too tired to destroy the town <laughs> after going to Mrs. Krebs' party to want to go and, like, steal gates off of people's fences and turn over outhouses and light things on fire. We should just rename the holiday after her. Just call it Krebs Night? Krebs Night, or what's her first name? Elizabeth. Oh, there's a lot of Elizabeths. That would mm -hmm. be confusing. I think we can stay, stick it with just all Halloween, or like all Hallow's Eve or Halloween for now, but we can always stop and remember it in its own special way and the contribution that Mrs. Elizabeth Krebs played in reshaping how we celebrate Halloween in America. And you know she was like a really good mom or aunt if she, you know, was, because she knew you gotta wear the kids out. And then they and won't want to do bad shit. Exactly. You just tire them out. You give them a bunch of sugar. You make them run around in circles. And then they're going to drop like flies and go to bed. No problem. Mm -hmm. Thanks to her example, it took a long time for this to become like a more widespread practice, especially with the Great Depression, because the pranks and the vandalism went up even more so. It's unfortunately something that is still a part of Halloween to this day. To the point that some cities have considered banning Halloween entirely. The city of Detroit, in the 1980s, one Halloween night, there were 800 fires that were set ablaze. The following year, there was mandatory dust to dawn curfew for any minors unaccompanied under the age of 18. I will say that's very understandable because of... But, I mean, if there's that much vandalism and things happening, then it's a problem. And I'm sure Detroit has moved problem. on from that by now. Yes. That that was one of the crazier stories that I came across, though. And I was like, 800 fires? I'm like, dang, Detroit. Not to say anything despairing about the city of Detroit or any of its people. I mean, a lot of places got crazy in the 80s. We're not going to lie. But that was one particular story that I came across that I was like, yeah, I need to kind of mention this in the podcast because that's a little nuts. I will go ahead and say Detroit is one of my favorite places. Actually, I believe it is the favorite city that I have ever been to. It is beautiful there. They have the Belle Isle, which is amazing. It's right across the uh, a river. I'm not going to name it because I cannot remember <laughs> for the life of me, even though I've been to Detroit three, two, two times. Anyway, it's this okay. is a lot about Detroit. <laughs> But anyway, I do love Detroit. If there's anyone listening from there. We, lo we love you, Detroit. We hope we can go and see you and Laura can show me your beautiful city one day. Yes. And we'll remember that river when Laura's not high on blueberry strain. And you can see Canada from Detroit, and that's awesome. I mean, Canada is awesome in general, but the fact you can see it from Detroit. Detroit, you get some points on that for sure. The prank still kind of continued. And speaking of pranks, the tradition of that, of course, has not gone away. I hope that in a lot of places, it's there's a lot less fire. Absolutely. Absolutely. The tradition of pranking around Halloween is definitely still alive and well because um, there was an incident just today in my office of people pranking each other. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a um, skeleton that we keep in our office that we call Jack Skellington. 
And he tends to move around the office. So during the month of October, if somebody is out sick um, or they had a doctor's appointment or something, it's usually a tradition that we will take Jack and we will put them at that person's desk. Like Jack was covering for them that day. It's uh-huh. like it's like a cute, fun little prank. Some people today at work took it a little far. They turned off the lights in one of the offices and put Jack in there without telling the person whose office it is. They put Jack in there. So they got a bit of a fright. Yeah, and, that's a little terrifying. And then minutes later, they then took him and they curled him up in the fetal position and put him under somebody else's desk. Who oh. was very surprised to find a fully dressed skeleton because you know he can't be naked in the workplace so he has pants he and has a shirt to, obviously he has to have pants and stuff yes he has a full ensemble <laughs> um but i was like man y'all are like completely committing to the tradition of like tricking at halloween like mm. i want to i want to say good job guys but i also probably should not encourage this kind of behavior in the workplace yeah, it's fun we do stuff like that at work all the time and it, it was a good good time for the most part <laughs> Pranks and the history of all of that aside, we get really into Halloween during the 1950s. And there's a huge upswell of the tradition of trick-or-treating and everything again here in America. And it's in large part thanks to different iconic figures at this time popularizing it again. In particular, Walt Disney for coming out with a Donald Duck cartoon featuring Huey, Dewey, and Louie trick-or-treating for a Halloween cartoon that he put out. Yeah. So Walt Disney made Halloween popular again. Him along with um, Schwartz, creator of the Peanuts. Because, of course, as we all know, he drew his famous comic of Charlie Brown and the gang going door to door, dressed up as ghosts, trick-or-treating. Which is now a huge part of our Halloween tradition is the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Yes. It's fun to watch it. I haven't watched it yet this year, but I'm sure I will by the end of October. (laughs) It's definitely on my watch list for this month, most definitely. And of course, there have been a lot of different stuff that was given out during Halloween. Like we said, there were fruit, coins, uh, candy, cake, toys sometimes in some cases. In the during World War II, there's a sugar ration. So there's not a lot of sugar to go around. Halloween took a little bit of a nosedive, but afterwards, Again, it upticked thanks to the baby boomers after World War II, and we have it resurfacing in the 1950s thanks to um, the Peanuts and to Donald Duck bringing it back to the forefront of everybody's mind. And so then, whenever there's something that's popular, capitalism kicks in, but it also makes some very tasty stuff. So now we get to the game of tonight's episode. Laura, are you ready? Yes. Okay, I have have a note card for you, and I have a pen. And what you're going to do, I'm going to write down a couple of different candies. And I'm going to read them off for our listeners as I write them down. And you are going to try your best to kind of put them in order numerically, like one through whatever, as to what you think came first. So I'm going to just put these. I feel like I'm on Jeopardy right now. (laughs) I'm so nervous. And I'm going to go with, like, ones that you'll probably be pretty familiar with here. So I'm supposed to put them in order of when they came out? Mm-hmm. So the oldest to the newest. Okay. And I feel like you're going to do pretty good at this. I love candy. I know you do. Okay. So the options we have on here, the 
Famous Reese's Cup. We have a Milky Way, M&M's, Kit Kat, Candy Corn, which I now realize I wrote twice. So scratch off our bottom candy corn there. Hershey's Bar and the Snickers Bar. Okay, am I on a timer? There is no timer. So do this Thank in you. whatever order feels the best to you. Okay, I know that M&M's, I know why they were made. You know why M&M's were made? Yeah, well, my dad told me uh, they were made for military people so that they could hold them in their pockets without the chocolate milk. Ah. She's concentrating so hard, you guys. Milky Way is my favorite candy bar. Is the Milky Way your favorite one? Yeah. It's it's so good. I don't blame you. I will sometimes switch between that and the Three Musketeers bar myself. At some point, I think I might have started putting them in order of my favorites. Um, <laughs> we'll see. Anyway. Okay. All right. So what Laura has listed as her number one. The not not my favorite. This one's not my favorite. It's it's up there, but it's not my favorite. It's not her absolute favorite, but in order of when she thinks this uh became a Halloween candy and was available to the public, she has listed candy corn. And Laura, you are correct. Yay! Candy corn is the oldest candy that we have on the list. It was actually first started being made in the 1880s. Wow, that's real old. Way, way, way far back. So they have been producing and making candy corn uh, for everybody since before the 1900s. Wow. So, yeah, really old candy. All right, next. Next one. So we're going to give Laura a point for candy corn because she totally got that one. For number two, Laura has listed the Hershey's Bar. And Laura, you are correct! The Hershey Bar Yay. was first introduced by Milton Hershey in 1900, which... He later made into the Hershey Company and founded the town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, right there where his factory is at. There's a whole theme park, and I hope to go one day. <laughs> For her number three, Laura has chosen M&M's. Laura, that is incorrect. Ah, oh, dang. <laughs> M&M's were actually first introduced in 1941, Ooh. which tracks... With the time period, if we're looking at war history, of when they would have been introduced for soldiers to be able to enjoy. Hmm. So All they right. were, what number were they in the list? They were the fifth oldest oh, that we had okay. on available on the list. So Also, I didn't label Snickers, so I guess that's number seven for that, me. That's your seventh one. Okay, <laughs> we're going to put that as your number seven. Spoilers. Okay, as your number four, you put Milky Way. That was actually the fourth oldest on our list. Okay. The mil So you were right on the money that it is the fourth one. It was introduced by the Mars Candy Bar Company in 1923. Oh. Okay. So number five. Number five, Laura has... I'm trying to find your number five. Kit Kat. Okay. Kit Kat. It's actually the sixth oldest candy on our list. Sure. I was close. You were very close. Oh. Actually, I have these two. Out of order on my notes, so my apologies to the whole podcast. M&M's came after Kit Kats. Okay. So we have Kit Kats, and then we have M&M's because Kit Kats were introduced in 1935. Fun fact, the company that makes this um, originated in England. Oh, that makes sense because they like the, the wafer cake candy, mm -hmm. cookie, wafer cookie. Okay. Next on Laura's list, we have Reese's Cups. Laura, I'm sad to say... That is incorrect. They are actually the second oldest on the list. So, oh, wow. Yeah, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups was actually introduced by Mr. Reese, who used to work for Milton Hershey and the Hershey Company. Oh. So he actually broke away from the Hershey Company and started making 
his own variation of the milk chocolate and started making what is now known as his famous peanut butter cups. So that one was actually our number two on the list. It's so, a real well, uh, the number Disney versus Nest situation. It's very much that. Okay, and then you had Snickers as your very last one. Snickers is actually between Milky Way and Eminem. Milky Way and Kit Kat. Okay. Because they were almost exactly invented around the same time. So Milky Way came out in 1923 from the Mars Company, and they also produced the Snickers bar within that same time period. Okay. So what was last? The very last one that we had was actually M&M's, because they are the youngest candy coming out in 1941. Hmm. So we have candy that ranges from coming out in 1880s all the way to 1941 and we are still enjoying them to this day wow that's impressive (laughs) right when when you put good quality um and also throw in a entire holiday that's centered around the candy corporation (laughs) where where they make so much money because as we said we spend 2.6 billion dollars on halloween annually here in the u.s capitalism capitalism but we you know, put up skeletons and jack-o'-lanterns and tell scary stories, and we have fun with it. And you know what? This is a part of capitalism I'm honestly not mad at. I love Halloween. Me too. I do too. Anyway, that's our game for the night. But yeah, that honestly brings us up to modern day. Halloween has kind of gone from us incorporating ancient rituals and rites um, and from us going door to door to get treats and stuff and perform tricks for people to major acts of vandalism into a holiday where um, we make a lot of money for the candy corporation. It's just so funny how those two <laughs> have been brought together because you have Scary Scary Murder Murder, which I love those movies. I do. I really I love horror movies. Horror I love horror movies <laughs> and the classic monster movies. I love all of that stuff. And then candy. It's so <laughs> it's so pleasant. I guess it balances out. I think so, too. And the best example I can kind of give on how it all beautifully balances together, there's actually an incredible documentary available on Disney Plus, BT Dubs. We are not sponsored by Disney. Um, <laughs> We're not sponsored by anybody. <laughs> we are not. We are sponsored by ourselves and our own grit and determination to bring you guys a podcast. And our friends. And yes. Friends. And so many good friends. But there's an incredible documentary on there that talks about the Haunted Mansion. And Walt Disney, when he was first conceiving of Disneyland and Disney World, he wanted to have a haunted house because he said, and I quote, people like to be scared. So there's something thrilling about, like, going on a scary ride or having a scary experience. And the two lead designers that ended up finishing the project that became the Haunted Mansion did a combination of setting a really scary, spooky tone and mood at the beginning and then ending with something, like, really fun and kind of jokester-esque at the second half of the ride. And I think that entire ride is an exact combination of, like, the perfect thing of what Halloween is. It's foreboding, it's creepy, it's scary, it's mysterious, but it's also approachable fun, and it's a holiday that gives us a chance to kind of contemplate death in a way that's not, you know, foreboding or too overly philosophical. I I think that that's a fair 
thing to say. I just, I wish that it wasn't used to, you know, belittle people sometimes because it is, it does tend to be used to belittle people that actually celebrate Halloween traditionally, I guess. Yes. And there, I wanted to read more into some articles that I had found talking about the restoration of Celtic and pagan traditions um, that had a big boom in the 1980s, which I think is why there was such a huge pushback from the media during that time period that was close to around the time that you and I were born, where everyone was concerned like, oh, D&D is teaching our kids spells and introducing them to the devil. It's because it's there not. were... It's not, you guys. We, we should know we play tabletop games all the time. I think that was kind of the big pushback was because there were people that were looking at alternatives to Christianity that actually are going way, way back to like the roots of it. And as a result, we see these traditions and things that we've literally had incorporated into a lot of more Christian focused faiths and denominations for literally centuries and going back and looking at them the way they were traditionally practiced, it's become such a foreign and removed concept, which I think is kind of crazy. We're the ones that incorporated it into the greater part of European culture via the Roman, Holy Roman Empire. And now, you know, we throw our arms up in the air and we're like, oh no, a person dressed up as like a witch or something and this, that, and other. And it's like, Nah, nah, bro, it's not scary at all. Like, just, just read some history. <laughs> like, and it's mostly children. So, <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. So, not to get preachy because we try not to do that on this podcast at all. But I feel like you know it's just meant to be a fun holiday. Just be safe. Be careful out there. Um, you know, check your kids' candy. You guys know what you're supposed to do out there. And that could be an episode we can maybe talk about next Halloween as to why we do check children's candy these days now. (laughs) Yeah, it's sad. but And don't mm -hmm. take anything that's homemade. Yeah, because allergies and all kinds of stuff like that. And you never know what people will put in those too. Mm -hmm. So unless it's from a friend or relative that you do know and trust, but yeah. Mm-hmm. You go to your grandma's house and, yeah, take her cookies. <laughs> Otherwise, she'll cry. Oh, I don't want grandma to cry. Nobody wants grandma to cry. Nobody wants grandma to cry on Halloween. It's sadder than when she cries at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but, Laura, do you have any other questions about, like, the history of Halloween or how we kind of got to this point of how we celebrate it today? I don't think so. I think that was a fun episode, and I learned a lot about uh, Celtic stuff that I didn't know. <laughs> And again, I would love to tell you like some of the creepy ghost stories. We'll probably do that off podcast <laughs> um, where I can tell you some of the creepy Celtic ghost stories that I've found. We can have a fire night in here. <gasps> Ooh, that'd be so much fun. We'll that get s'mores and cider. It'll be so nice. It would be nice. But yes, but class, thank you so much for joining me and Laura today. Hope you had fun. Hope we didn't scare you too much. <laughs> and if we did... We hope it was in a fun way. You guys be safe out there. Have a happy Halloween, and we'll see you in episode three. Bye-bye.